0: Thank you. Good morning. You guys doing okay? Great. Good to see you. Um, just before we get into this morning, I just wanted to thank you for those guys who prayed for the team who went to Zimbabwe. You may remember at the end of July, we took a team of uh, 12 guys from here to Zimbabwe to see our good friends uh, Rory and Beth Parkinson. Uh, we uh, w- we're doing a whole bunch of stuff uh, in and around the kind of Harare area with about six or seven different churches. Here's a little dim and distant picture of the team that we took, and uh, just to say we had a phenomenal time. Thank you so much for your prayers. Um, there was so many kind of highlights of the trip. Um, uh, one of the, the first things that we did as a team is we went round one of uh, what they call high-density areas in Harare, which is an area of uh, a population of about 35,000 people who are basically living in kind of tin shacks right at the edge of the, 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 basically the garbage dump of Harare and they are some of the poorest of the poor in that particular neighborhood and uh, we just had a remarkable time going round Uh, that area, uh, getting to pray for people, Um, I think it was probably one of the only times in my life where every single person we prayed for got healed instantly. It was amazing. In in just about an hour period, every single person we prayed for, we led two people to Christ within an hour. Two of the people that we prayed for had had a dream that night that we were going to visit them the next day. as they saw us approaching they already had faith that something good was going to happen it was extraordinary and uh, one of the favorite stories that i picked up from there was from the previous year's visit where uh, we had prayed for a lady in this particular township who was um, in a wheelchair she couldn't feed herself she couldn't take herself to the bathroom because she had had an operation to remove a brain tumor that had then gone septic after the operation she was about 16 years old And ever since, she'd been uh, left paralyzed in a wheelchair, unable to look after herself at all. And so we got to pray for her. And you know sometimes you have those occasions where you pray for someone and seemingly nothing happens. Have you ever had those moments? You walk away and think, ah, I don't know, just nothing seemed to happen. It was one of those kind of moments. We prayed for her. She wasn't able to communicate at all. Observably, there was no difference whatsoever. But anyway, a year later, we said, how how was that girl? Did anything ever happen to her? And uh, Sean, the guy who was taking us around, one of the pastors there, he said, oh, yeah, an amazing thing happened to her. He said, within a few weeks of you having prayed for her and left the country, she suddenly, out of the blue, got out of her wheelchair and started taking herself to the bathroom and feeding herself. She still... She she still wasn't completely healed, but then, he said, a few weeks on from that, she was almost completely restored to the point where now she's back in full-time education, she's caught up up with her studies, and she's got full mobility and function back. Just an incredible, incredible miracle. And it's so exciting to hear that kind of stuff going on. And uh, I just want to thank you for your prayers. We had a great time at the end. Any of you who are, are friends with us on Facebook, you'll have seen lots of pictures of walking with lions and seeing elephants which wasn't what we were doing the whole time. That was just near the end of the trip. And uh, the slightly disconcerting thing about that is uh, we went to this uh, game reserve, which is the um, the biggest kind of hand-rearing game reserve of lions in the whole of Zimbabwe. The disconcerting thing is the guy who runs it only has one arm because it got bit (laughs) off by a lion. (laughs) which is slightly concerning when you first arrive. Um, lovely, lovely guy, but he kind of starts off his thing about his safety talk with one arm. And you're like, okay, <laughs> we're not in England now. And uh, actually, while we were there, as the a whole team, we got a chance to um, pray for him and his whole management team. We got to join his whole management team meeting. We got to pray for him and all of his staff. And again, it's just an incredible opportunity to bless them. Um, And so thank you for your prayers. Uh, I would also ask you to pray for us this week. Uh, I'm going with a small team to Japan on Wednesday, and uh, we are going to visit... Um, a church plant that was planted by a friend of mine 10 years ago, English family who moved out to Japan, did the the laborious task of learning language, planted a church magnificently. Uh, One of our own, Nilesh, is now one of the kind of key leaders in that church, and so we're going over to visit them, to spend some time with them. So do pray. It's great, isn't it, that we can bless the nations together. So thank you. Well, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to kick into what we're going to do this morning. Father, we just thank you for your presence here. We thank you so much that uh, we get to play our part in uh, meeting the need of refugees fleeing war. God, thank you. This is exactly where Christians should be. And Father, we just pray as we pray about giving next week, I pray that you would speak to us powerfully, Father. I pray, stir our hearts, God, to be part of the solution, God, to those who are most marginalized and needy in our nation right now. God, we thank you that we are so rich in so many ways. And Father, we, we pray, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Lord, give us dreams in the night. God, we thank you that you've called us to be your arms and legs to those who need to meet Jesus face to face. And so, God, we, we just thank you for all your work among us as a community. We bless you, and we pray as we come to your word, Father, speak to us. Lord, let your word do us good. Why don't you just, where you're sitting in your seat right now, just ask him, ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to you. You may not even be a Christian here this morning. Well, the good news is that you can hear the voice of God this morning speaking to you. So why don't you just ask him in your seat to come and meet with you this morning? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for all that you're doing, God. worship here. Amen. Great. Well, this morning we are uh, in this little series called Life on the Front Lines, and this morning I want to focus in on the subject of finding your kingdom purpose. And I was struck a number of weeks ago, I don't know how many of you are reading the Bible in one year notes that Nicky Gumbel does. I've been kind of going through them this year, really, really enjoying them. And uh, about a week ago, I, I read this from Nicky Gumbel. He said this, purpose in life is far more important than property or possessions. Having more to live with is no substitute for having more to live for. It has been said that the two greatest days of your life are the day that you were born and the day that you find out why, which has really, really struck me. And this question of purpose really is the question of why. Why are you alive? <laughs> why do you get out of bed in the morning? <laughs> why are you here on this planet? It's, purpose is the question of why. And it's such a crucial, important question. And when we're thinking about living life on the front lines one of the things that the enemy will try and do at very stage in your life is try and rob you of your sense of purpose. Because he understands that if he can rob you of your purpose, he can also rob you of your sense of peace. Because purpose and peace go together. It's now uh, well documented in many, many studies that having a sense of purpose in life gives you a greater sense of peace in life. Apparently the two most dangerous times of your life to live are the first 12 months of your life and the first 12 months after your retirement. They're the two most dangerous times that you can be alive as a human being. Why? Because for many of us, the moment that we stop our career is the moment that we lose connection with purpose. Because many of us throw ourselves into our career as if that is all the purpose that we have in life. And when that finishes, our sense of peace finishes as well along with it. And there have been many studies that show that people who live with a high sense of purpose fight heart disease better. They're less likely to get Alzheimer's. They have deeper, more meaningful connections and friendships with other people. Purpose and peace go hand in hand, side by side. And so what the enemy loves to do is rob you of your your sense of why. Why am I alive? Why am I here? What's my purpose on this planet? This came home to me really personally a number of years ago, before I was living in Bedford. I had this occasion one um, new year where my wife was involved in doing some kind of ministry training at centre parks and I was kind of there looking after our children and to be honest I wasn't doing very well. I, I kind of was feeling a little bit jaded, a little bit bored, I'd kind of lost connection with this sense of why, why am I here? And I shocked myself one day when Carol came to me and she said, oh, the, the guys in the meeting say, could you come and join us? Come and prophesy, come and pray, come and join the meeting. And the thought I had on my head shocked me, and it was this, I just can't be bothered. You ever had those kind of shocking moments where your thoughts catch you out and you're like, oh my goodness, where did that come from? And kind of there are many kind of roots to that. Thought process, but I think one of them was that I'd lost connection to the why, to the purpose. Why am I here on this planet? What is it that Jesus has for me to bring in my life? Purpose and rest go together. And the reality is that the only way to truly find your purpose is to find His purpose that's the only way that you can truly find your purpose. And you know, there are a lot of kind of self-help manuals out there, a lot of kind of self-medical kind of help in terms of finding your purpose, finding the real you, finding inner peace. But listen, the only way that you can really find inner peace and purpose is by connecting to him, connecting to his purpose. Because when you discover what he is about, you discover what you're about as well. So the biggest question for you here this morning, maybe you're in that same boat as me, of just thinking, I just I feel a bit jaded, I feel a bit bored, and I don't know, don't know why I'm getting out of bed in the morning. Sometimes I can't be bothered to pray. Maybe the question for you is, you need to get reconnected to his purpose. You need to discover what he is about, so you can discover what you're about. And there, of course, there are many places in Scripture that we could turn to to find out what the purpose of God is. Let's just turn to one of those, and this is in Isaiah chapter 11. And this is one of those glorious kind of prophetic passages that describes to us the great purpose of Jesus. And this is Isaiah. He's prophesying about Jesus many hundreds of years before Jesus actually walked the planet, but he is nonetheless prophesying about Jesus. And this is what he says about him. Isaiah 11 verse five. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." In that day, the root of Jesse, that's Jesus, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. I love that passage speaking about Jesus. And here, Isaiah is painting this massive picture about the purpose of Jesus Christ that Jesus' purpose is not just to deal with your individual sin and connect you to the Father. His purpose is much bigger than that. His purpose is to restore the whole cosmos. And that's what this passage is about. It's saying, Jesus, in the person of Jesus, the whole cosmos is going to be put to rights. Division is going to be ended. Unrighteousness is going to be ended. When Jesus comes, he is going to put every evil thing to rights in the whole of the cosmos. That's the purpose of Jesus, to fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And you notice that Isaiah says, when you get connected to this banner, to what Jesus is about, his resting place is glorious. You want to find where true rest is? It's under his banner. It's under what he's doing, under his purpose for your life and for the cosmos. And this really is what the kingdom is all about. When Jesus came preaching and ministering on this earth, his his main message was this, the kingdom of God is at hand. And when Jesus understood the kingdom of God, he understood it perhaps in a different way than we do. And we're going to go on to look at that in just a moment. But this was his message was, I've come to fill the earth with the knowledge of God and his kingdom like waters cover the sea. In Jesus' ministry, there are over a 100 references to the kingdom in the Gospels alone. The word kingdom means rule or reign, which means that when you are praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth. This is what you're praying. God, extend your rule across the whole of the cosmos. That's what you're praying. And this was Jesus' main message. Your kingdom come on the earth as waters cover the sea. Jack Hayford, a preacher, said this. He says, Jesus builds the church, but he told us to seek the kingdom of God. Because believers have lost the kingdom mentality, the church has wandered from fad to fad, looking for contemporary relevancy. The church has no identity or power to affect cultures because we've lost our understanding of the kingdom. It's in the kingdom that believers will discover their real identity and will understand their mighty purpose here on earth. You want to understand your purpose? You need to understand the kingdom. Because this was Jesus' mission, to extend the kingdom into every corner of the galaxy. So what I want to do is just take a little look at what we mean by the kingdom of God. And for some of you, this is going to be review. And this is, by the way, not going to be an incredibly practical message. You're not going to come out with 10 points how to make your life better. But what I hope you will have is a bigger picture of what God is about on the earth. And let's just quickly look at the kingdom in Jesus' context. You know, context gives us meaning and To understand the kingdom of God, we need to understand something about what the kingdom meant in Jesus' day. When Jesus came proclaiming, The kingdom of God is near, his hearers would have understood what he meant in a way that we don't, because we're not in the same context. For first century Jews living in occupied Palestine, when they heard Jesus utter these words, The kingdom of heaven is near, They would have understood what he meant because of their understanding of their history in God. And this is our our big word for this morning, and it's the word eschatological. Okay, just nudge someone and say marmalade. Okay, now nudge someone and say eschatology. Okay, they're both big words, you don't need to be scared of them, all right? Eschatology simply means that the end of the world, teaching about what it's going to be like at the end. And all of the evidence and understanding of Jesus when he came to preach about the kingdom is that he did so from an eschatological point of view, which means that he preached with the view of what he understood was going to happen at the end of the world. Okay, you with me so far? And the reality is what how you view the end of the world affects how you build now. See, if if I was to give you a car and say, could you, could you do up this car, make it, make it look pretty, make it look beautiful? And you would say to me, well, well, what's the car for? And I said to you, well, it's going to go into a destruction derby. You'd be like, okay, that's going to affect the way that I build this car because of the end result. And Jesus, when he's preaching about the kingdom, he's doing so through the lens of how he understood the end of the world. And the Jews in Jesus' time, when he preached about the kingdom, were what what theologians call eschatological dualists, which means that they believed in two eras or ages of the world. The first age was a passing age that was characterized by imperfection, by pain, by sickness, by unrighteousness, by injustice. They were living in the proof that they were still in that age. They were an occupied nation. They understood this age is is characterized by imperfection. But they believed in a second age. And the second age was characterized by restoration, by redemption, by salvation, by God putting evil to rights by God suddenly coming and dealing with unrighteousness and oppression on the earth. It was characterized by God suddenly ushering in his kingdom and putting right everything that was wrong. They believed in two ages, the age that they were in and an age that would come. And what they believed about this second age is that this second age would be ushered in by a Messiah, a Savior who would come from heaven and bring about the kingdom of God on the earth. And that when Messiah came, he would put to right every wrong thing. That's what they believed in two ages. And their understanding about this second age was largely informed by their reading of the prophets. Particularly the prophets of Daniel and Isaiah. Daniel and Isaiah were kind of like the IMAX 4D cinema of the Jews' day. Okay? They loved the other prophets, but many of the other prophets, if you read them, really prophesy about a restoration of former glory. It's different with Isaiah and Daniel. You read Isaiah and Daniel, and they prophesy about a a day that's never been seen before in the planet. And they prophesy about the one through whom this new day is going to come, the Messiah who's going to come and put the worlds to right. And so when Jesus came preaching about the kingdom, there was a pregnant expectancy in the nation of Israel That one day Messiah is going to come and start the second age. Which is why, when this hairy man called John the Baptist starts baptizing at the River Jordan and he announces, Get ready, the kingdom of heaven is about to come. There is one coming who's going to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. Get ready. It's no wonder that whole towns around Galilee began to empty to go and see John the Baptist. Why? Because the Jews understood exactly what he was saying. He was saying, the kingdom's about to come, the second age is about to start. And so people flocked to him and they were baptized by John the Baptist under his ministry. And then, of course, Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus starts healing the sick. He starts doing things that should only happen in that second age. Blind eyes start opening. Lame men start walking. Leprous men start being cleansed. Those who are oppressed start getting set free. Suddenly, all those signs of the second age begin to turn up in the life of Jesus. And this is an incredible moment as Jesus steps foot into his hometown synagogue and the scroll of Isaiah is handed to him, the Jew's favorite prophet, Jesus stands up in front of his home synagogue amongst all the men that he grew up with. He unfurls the scroll of Isaiah and he starts to read Isaiah 61 saying, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor and to proclaim freedom for the captives. And then remember what it says in John chapter 4. Luke writes this. It says, Every eye was fastened on him. And Jesus says to them, Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What a moment. The reason their eyes were fastened on him is they knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying, I am the Messiah through whom this second age starts, and it starts today. What a moment. And what happens, you see, in the life of Jesus through his ministry through his healings, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, what happens is suddenly the end of the world arrives early. (laughs) The end happens before it should. Suddenly this future age breaks into this present age as God ushers in his kingdom in the person of his son, Jesus. And suddenly the kingdom starts to break out. And the end of the world has already begun. It already starts. And that's why when you read the New Testament, writers say things like this, you are those who have tasted of the powers of the age to come. You are those who tasted of the powers of the age to come because the, pre- the present has started to be invaded by the future. All the things that should happen at the end of history start to happen in the person of Jesus. new age has already started in the person of Christ. This means that Jesus' plan to change the cosmos doesn't start at the end of the world. It has already begun, which means that his purpose has now become your purpose. His mission was to fill the cosmos with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. His purpose has now become your purpose. A man called Russell Moore writes this. He says, we sometimes assume kingdom is just a metaphor for getting saved. Against this kind of potential confusion, the mission of Christ starts and ends, not just in the announcement of forgiveness of sins, although this is true, but the mission of Christ starts and ends with an announcement that God has made Jesus emperor of the cosmos. And he plans to bend the cosmos to fit Jesus' agenda, not the other way around. The kingdom of God then is the good news that the right rule of God and the right rule of man have come together in the right rule of the one right God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. In his sin-resisting life, his wisdom-saturated teaching, his demon-exercising power, his substitutionary conquering death, and his justifying victorious resurrection, Jesus Christ is King. That King, through his Spirit, invites all men to believe by faith what someday they'll see by sight, what everyone will someday see by sight, that Jesus is Lord, Jesus forgives, Jesus is king, and his reign will extend to the corner of every galaxy forever and ever and ever. That's your purpose right there. That's your purpose. It's not just to get by. It's not just to do life with you and Jesus. It's not even just to make your workplace better. It's to join the plan of the Father to bend the whole of the cosmos to fit Jesus' agenda so that he is the supreme king over everything. That's your purpose. That's why you're alive. That's why you're here. Every morning you can wake up knowing you have an assignment from the Father. Go and change your bit of the cosmos. (laughs) What does that mean? You might say, well, that that just sounds kind of so out there, I don't even know what that means. You know, I, I struggle to change my socks in the morning, let alone change the cosmos. What does that actually mean? And again, this is where just understanding some of the qualities of the kingdom of God help us. For example, one of the qualities of Jesus' kingdom is salvation and deliverance, which is what Isaiah 61 says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted and reclaim liberty for the captives. See, your purpose in every situation where you encounter people who are oppressed or bound up is this, is to bring the kingdom, is to bring Jesus' rule into that situation, which means bringing salvation and deliverance to those who need it. Remember years ago when I was in Newcastle, a girl came up to me after one of our meetings, and she was kind of shaking, and she wasn't a Christian. I knew she'd been through our Alpha course, and she said, I I I don't know what's happening to me, I just feel like just this weight of something all over my body, and I don't know what's going on. I said, what's happening right now is Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is showing you that he's real and that he knows you. She's like, oh. I said, would you like to know him right now? She's like, yes, please. And it was so easy for someone who had been walking in oppression suddenly to walk into the light, because that's what the kingdom is like. We had another lady here in the church uh, about a year or so ago, I had this experience where she was uh, just walking along minding her own business and she saw a lady carrying shopping bags with two young children suddenly collapse on the streets in Bedford. She ran over to help and uh, this lady said, I've got this funny kind of chronic fatigue kind of syndrome and suddenly my legs can just give way from under me. And so uh, <coughs> my friend just began to say, well, can I pray for you? She's like, well, sure. And so she just began to pray, and as she began to pray, this lady, who wasn't a Christian believer, suddenly she started to kind of manifest slightly on the streets. And she's like, what's happening to me? I feel like something's coming out of me. And this friend of ours said, well, sometimes what happens is when the love of God comes in, other junky stuff has to come out. And that's probably what's happening right now. She's like, oh, it feels great. And the upshot of that is that she led this lady to to the Lord right there and then on the streets because she understood that's what the kingdom is like. When the kingdom shows up, that's what it brings, salvation and deliverance. What about your purpose when you find injustice and pain? Well, again, it's to bring the righteousness and compassion of the Father. Again, I said this earlier about the refugee crisis. This is exactly where the church should be. Because this is what the kingdom's like. It comes with compassion and righteousness. What about your purpose when you find despair? Your purpose when you find despair is to bring joy, to bring the joy of the kingdom. What's your purpose when you find pain? To bring comfort. What's your purpose when you find brokenness? To bring healing. What's your purpose when you find anxiety? To bring peace. And in these ways, you begin to extend the rule of God in the cosmos around you. His purpose has become your purpose. Time has run away with us, but I just want to finish with this. One of my favorite songs growing up as a kid, and this is going to really age me and some of you, was I Have a Destiny by Mark Altrogi. Anyone remember that song? Just wave at me if you remember that song. Wow, you're so young in this room. It's amazing. And uh, these were the words of the song. I used to love singing it. It just went like this. said, I have a destiny I know I shall fulfill. I have a destiny in that city on a hill. I have a destiny and it's not an empty wish, for I know that I was born for such a time as this. Long before the ages, you predestined me to walk in all the works you have prepared for me. You've given me a part to play in history, to help prepare a bride for all eternity. I did not choose you, but you have chosen me and appointed me for bearing fruit abundantly I know that you will complete the work begun in me by the power of your Spirit, working mightily. Do you know you have a destiny, you have a purpose, and life on the front line means waking up every morning and remembering that Jesus saved you for a purpose. It's not just to get heaven when you, to, to get to heaven when you die, but to bring heaven on the earth while you wait. That is your purpose. You have been saved for a destiny to help prepare a bride for all of eternity.